The biggest issue was a deep challenge to your understanding of God is love, which is something that everyone has to face really in their Christian faith. That our hardest question is where is God in suffering? Welcome to What's the Story? My name is Matt Edmondson and this is a podcast full of stories about faith and courage from everyday people. And today I'm chatting with Ed Walker about his Christian journey, challenges he's faced in life, and some of the lessons he's learned on the way. But before I get into that, let me give a shout out to a couple of episodes that you should also check out. Check out the podcast I did with Jenny Oliver called When Life Spirals Out of Control. Jenny was a great guest on the What's the Story podcast, as was Dave Conn. You can see uh, and hear his episode actually, it's called God Get Me Out of This and I'll Do Anything, a prayer. We have all prayed at various points in time. Now you can find these and our entire archive of episodes on our website for free at www.crowd.church or you can go whatsthestorypodcast.com they take you to the same place. And whilst you're there, sign up for our newsletter and each week we will email you these links along with the notes uh, and links from today's conversation with Ed. They get directly sent to your inbox, which is amazing. Now, this episode is brought to you by Crowd Online Church. You know, as well as I do, that not everybody wants to go to church and not everybody can get into a church building. And this is where online church works super well. It is a safe space to explore the Christian faith. And the thing that I love about Crowd Church is that you get to join in and shape the conversation as they don't just talk at you. No, 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 you can get to join in. So if you've never been to church before, or if you are looking for a new church, check out Crowd Church. The website is www.crowd.church. Now, before we get into the conversation, I do want to give a shout out to Simon Gillibo, who introduced me to Ed. Uh, Simon, if you may or may not remember, if, you've, if you're a regular to the podcast from Great Lakes Outreach, did an episode called How Gratitude Changes Everything. So Ed, not being funny, but these are big shoulders on, upon which you stand. Uh, so let's talk about Ed. Ed Walker is a seasoned humanitarian with over 10 years experience in relief and development. He's worked in war zones and disaster-stricken areas across Africa, reaching over 100,000 people affected by conflict, uh, and he chairs the NGO steering committees. Ed also is an accomplished author, having written the incredible book Reflections from the Scorched Earth that has sold over 5,000 copies. Back in the UK, Ed has served as the director of YMCA Client Services before founding the charity Hope Into Action. Their mission is to house vulnerable individuals with the help of local churches. Today, Hope Into Action has over 80 homes in 20 towns across England and has won several awards, including the Best Christian Social Action Award in 2015 and The Guardian's Best Housing Project in the Country, no doubt, in 2017. Ed's latest book, A House Built on Love, was published in October 2020. And in June 2022, he was awarded an MBE for his services to the homeless. Ed is a proud husband and father of two daughters and a son. Oh, yes. Ed, that's a heck of an intro. Welcome to the show, man. Great to have you. Uh, thank you very much. It's a real honor to be here. I really appreciate it. 
Oh no, it's great. And if you're watching on YouTube, uh, Ed, one of the things I noticed straight away, and we may as well tell people straight away uh, if they can see it, what is that behind you on the wall? That, well, that's, uh, yeah, that's an Ethiopian throw that a friend gave us as we left Khartoum after three and a half years of serving the Darfur program. Um, yeah, where I went out there married and came back with uh, one baby and one in the oven. So uh, it was great for <laughs> years of our life. Fantastic. Fantastic. And have you got these sort of knickknacks? I don't know. I, there's probably a better phrase than knickknacks, but do you know what I mean? These sort of these trinkets all over the house from Africa? Uh, this room is our kind of Africa honoring house. And there's one other corridor where I've got random sort of crosses and sticks that have been given to me by people and trowels and things like that. That <laughs> just like, uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, two, two main spaces. Fantastic, fantastic. So Ed, for those people that don't know, tell us about Hope Into Action and what it does. Yeah, well, Hope Into Action, I mean, the way I sometimes explain it is, you know, I'd, I'd spent that 10 years, as you said, overseas in disaster response. My favorite verse, my, my, my powerful verse that spoke to me time and again was Isaiah 58, isn't this the kind of fasting I've chosen? <laughs> to loose the chains of injustice, to set the oppressed free. And then I landed, I kind of, we left that world, I landed in a place called Peterborough in East England. And I found myself completely feeling like a fish out of water. How yeah. do those verses apply to Christians in Peterborough? And I kept saying to God, look, I know you need Christians in this city, but exactly to do what? I don't understand. Um, and then one day, just actually, Rachel just given birth, so I was on paternity leave playing with my first daughter in the park and met a guy on the bench, as you do. Uh, his story was a really familiar story. It happens hundreds of times every month in this country, actually. Uh, but I'd read about it, but never met it. And I asked him his story. He said, well, I was in prison this morning. I left at the point I was leaving. I was full of determination and hope and wanting a fresh start. But as I was going out of the gate, a prison officer said to me, we'll see you back here in three months' time. Uh. At that point, any sense of self-esteem crumbled. And by the time I met him at 11 a.m., he got he spent his discharge money, 47 quid on a bottle of something very strong, and was halfway through it. And... Uh, I said to him, well, don't, you know, don't worry, I can help. I know the hostels in this town. Uh, none were taken too old or don't take ex-offenders. So I said, what about Norwich? Same deal. What about Cambridge? Same deal. I said, where were you before you went into prison? He said, I was in Cambridge. So I said, uh, well, why don't you go back to Cambridge? He said, if I do, I'll be surrounded by the same old people doing mm -hmm. the same old things and I will end up back inside. So he'd actually made a rational choice. He'd spent his money on his only friend. And as I left him there, and this is now answering your question really, um, I found myself feeling two things. One, very disempowered. Two, um, a real passion or an anger, I suppose, that there are what, 20, 30 churches in this city and not one of them was giving the homeless a home. And mm. it was obvious that if you give that guy a home, his chance of reoffending would have dropped. Uh, I'd read the statistics. I'd now read it in a story. And from that moment on, really, I came back and uh, Rachel was concerned with our second newborn, but I was, I was talking to her about this. And we began talking and thinking and praying. And eventually we said, well, look, uh, the church can't run a hostel for 20 people, but they can run a home for one or two people. Mm. Uh, we bought a first home. We partnered it with our church, Breton Baptist Church. They agreed to try and love and support the tenants. I went into the prison, met someone who had nowhere to go and release, met him at the gate, took him to the house, uh, hoping to action was begun. And, uh, yeah, that's where it started, really, and it's grown wow. from there. 
really broad range of homelessness. Actually, it's it's more than you said. It's now over a hundred churches uh, running more than a hundred um, houses. So wow. yeah, it's 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 really good. Wow. So meeting this guy in the park then sort of changed your trajectory a little bit. Yeah, exactly. I mean, at the time, I was sort of praying, well, I have a nice career at the YMCA, or may I get a promotion there and a bit more money, and of course, had to sort of jump off that thing. I had a fair bit of responsibilities, 100 on staff, 200 on tenants, clients underneath me, but really wanted to form a, a kind of outreach that would release the oppressed in a really intelligent way, but also never lose a spiritual edge. So we can mm. always mirror Jesus's, you know, his own job description from John 4, uh, sorry, Luke 4, um, the spirit of the anointed Lord is upon me to release the press, to set captives free and proclaim the good news. And so many organizations in this country started off doing both and slowly lost the proclamation side. Well, we want to always keep that. And if you mm. always open a house in partnership with a church, then you'll always have spiritual input. And then you have the churches. We're actually discipling churches because churches are engaging in the lives of the most vulnerable in their community. They mm. know about it. They know they should be doing that. And we're giving them a really good way in, a way that they grow because they mm. meet Christ in the vulnerable, Because which shouldn't surprise us because Jesus said he was going to meet us there. Mm. So he identified with those who have nowhere to rest their heads and he wants us to meet him there. Our churches become richer when they meet with the poor. And that's that's part of our mission as well as helping those who are homeless on their journey out of homelessness. Mm. So have you found then that this partnership with um, with churches works super well? Uh, is, is it or is it? I, I, I'm sort of answering the own question in my, in my head as I ask it. it is, I'm assuming it's a little bit more complicated than that. But but on the whole, does it work well? Yeah, I think that what I would say is in the landscape, if you're if you're someone who is experiencing homelessness, what in your landscape, what provision have you got? You might have uh, someone might give you some food. Someone else might give you a sleeping bag. Someone may give you a tent even. Someone may give you their a night shelter. Someone may give you a hostel. What the church can do, what now 100 churches can do is give you a home. And that's really significant because actually mm. we give someone real dignity when we give them a home. What is a home? It's the same home you want for your children as I want for my children. A solid building that's similar to my neighbours, so I've got dignity when I walk out of it. I'm not sort of stigmatised because I live in on third floor of a hostel. I've got a bedroom, I've got a bathroom, I've got a kitchen, I've got a lounge, I've got a garden. And we're saying, we really trust you. We think you're good enough for this house. Jesus in worth, here we're going to show it to you by offering you a key and trusting you, not with sort of 24 hour staff or anything like that. Um, so that's one part of the model. And the other part, the other, what else is a home? It's relationships, it's nurture, it's mm. love, it's boundaries. And lots of organizations sort of will do the floating support or offer you a bed or uh, something like that. What we do is give you a home, and part of that home is local connections people, positive role models that are there to support you and journey with you. Because if when you come out of prison, uh, it, it, the people that meet you are going to be people pushing drugs towards you. And if we can replace those relationships with positive ones from the local church, then you stand a much better chance of recovering from homelessness. It's mm. a long journey out of homelessness for the vast majority of people. And relationships are key to that. It's a relational. If you think about that guy on the bench, he had nowhere to go because he had no one to go to. Mm. So at the heart of his physical poverty is homelessness was a relational poverty and the church is rich in relationships so 
it, it's a very effective model when it works well. Of course, all churches are different and not everyone's perfect and we're not perfect and all that stuff. But essentially, at the core of a model, when it works really mm. well, it's a great project. Oh, and so do you, going back to the statement thing you made earlier about, you know, you were asking God about the, the Isaiah 58, uh, is this not the facet I've chosen? Do you now see the outworking of that in, in Hope Into Action? Is that being actioned in Peterborough as it was um, back in Africa? Yeah, I really feel it because it's not this kind of house chosen dot, 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 to provide the poor wanderer with shelter. And mm. I met the poor wanderer um, and it's to release every yoke. That's what Isaiah 58 says. So if you're homeless, someone may come to you and say, well, you need some food, I'll give you some food. Someone may come to you and say, you need some drug help, I'll give you that. Someone, you need some debt help, or you need some probation help, I'll give you those. What we say is actually come into our home and we can release every yoke that oppresses you as according to Isaiah 58. Um, and also, so an evangelist may come along to you in the street and say, you need Jesus. Well, we can do that as well. But it's, mm. it's, it's holistic. It's all those things collectively oppress you. You may be able to deal with your bad debt if you didn't have an addiction. You may be able to deal with your addiction if you didn't have joblessness. You may be, do, mm. do you see what I mean? Actually, yeah. all those things oppress you. And Isaiah 58 says every yoke. So that's what oppresses the poor wanderer. And if we can break all of those things, which takes time and is slow, um, then we can enable people to flourish into what God wants them to be. Wow, fantastic. So, yeah, I, I really connect now with Isaiah 58. Mm. No, I think that's fascinating. So... Have you have you always had this sort of heart for uh, the poor and the outcast then? Um, or is this something that evolved in you in, in, in your Christian journey? No, I'd say I've always had it. I think, um, you know, I, I was born into a Christian family. It's always a part of the faith that resonated with me most. I can remember at age 13, I said, don't give me any presents for my party, give some money to Tear Fund. I then ended up working for Tear Fund. And I think Tear Fund really gave, it shaped that in me and it gave it a voice and it gave it sort of depth and a sort of biblical depth. You know, I've got tons of profits a lot more. Um, but I think it was always in me. And I would see justice, poverty, uh, spiritual oppression, it all wrapped, it were intrinsically in, inter, interlinked really. And so the gospel for me is more than just saying a prayer. It's it's releasing those systems which oppress people um, as well as spiritual growth. And yeah, if you can alleviate the poverty, the spiritual poverty, the physical poverty, the systemic poverty, then that, that would be a fuller understanding of the gospel, which I wouldn't have been able to articulate 25 years ago, but it was sort of already in me, I suppose. Yeah, no, fair enough. So you spent 10 years working in war zones and disaster areas in Africa. Um, I guess one of my questions, is that where you met Simon, who we gave a shout out to at the start of the show? Um, and what were some of the most sort of challenges, challenging experiences you faced during that time? Uh, yeah, I, my first assignment when I was 22 was I was sent out to this country called Burundi. Uh, at that point, there was about one other uh, expat. No, there, there are a few more than that, but Simon was there. He'd been there a few mm. months. He just had a push bike at that stage and very knobbly knees. And we just got along <laughs> very, very well. And he, he was a very inspiring character, three or four years older than me, and a great role model for me to look up to and see someone really living out their faith. And in that world, I met other men and women who lived out of faith that I really could look up to and admire and hadn't yet really seen perhaps in my Christian journey. Um, so that, that was really helpful for me. And across the 10 years, I worked in what, five or six different war zones experience. Wow. 
most uh, manifestations of war that are out there, not chemical or biological warfare, but um, certainly either directly or through the staff I work with. Um, the biggest issue, and I can tell lots of stories uh, of individual instances or suffering or death, um, was a deep challenge to your understanding of God is love, and mm. which is something that everyone has to face, re face really in their Christian faith. That our hardest question is, where is a God in suffering? Your uh, um, job is to relieve suffering, um, and you're doing it in a very violent context. What I found is two things. The glib answers I'd learned as a Christian growing up in a kind of evangelical church really didn't sort of cut much mustard with me um mm -hmm. what, I, what I found really gave me the resilience i needed uh was the bible and you know a few few books by philip yancey really um and okay. what i found in the bible in my in my christian upbringing the word violence had never really been talked about but i found violence you know writ large in every page of the bible from cain and abel to uh the psalms to prophets to jesus being killed to the persecuted church in acts it was it was there um when i'd never seen it before and mm. the question is written every uh, verse of the psalms virtually isn't it certainly virtually every psalm and so that strengthened my faith um where i needed to and i found the word was really sure where perhaps my uh, upbringing hadn't been um yeah that, that's probably there's probably yeah but i could give you lots of examples of how that mm. outworked itself but in individual instances so I'm, I'm interested, Ed, when you talked about um, the standard glib answers from your evangelical upbringing didn't really work. What do you, what in your mind are those standard glib answers that I guess a lot of people still, in the, if you've not been into war-torn Africa, it may be hard to sort of empathise with. So I'm kind of curious, what were some of the glib answers that you were given that weren't really working for you and why? Yeah, well, if we can contextualise it, if most of our listeners are in the UK, if it, if someone could said to me, oh, I'm really struggling because my mum's dying of cancer, why is God doing this? What I probably wouldn't talk about is free will. Um, and I probably would talk about um, what I found in the book. Well, firstly, I want to listen. I want to empathise. I want to be, sure. be alongside them. And I don't think what I found in the Bible is God gives very few answers to that. So he never answered Job when Jesus was asked, why did these people die when the, the, the tower fell. He didn't answer that either. When um, uh, Gideon asked God, why have you made me suffer like that? He didn't answer that. Uh, they just, what, God either pointed to his might or he reassured them that he was with them. Uh, Jesus before the crucifixion, when he was dropping sweats of blood, again, God didn't explain to him why, he just strengthened him with an angel. And I think um, that would be much more, well, first of all, I wouldn't, I wouldn't de necessarily i want to listen and empathize and sh show my support through through my friendship and if the questions were asked I, i'd be honest about my doubts because again i find loads of doubts in the bible mm. and I, I would encourage someone to be take their doubts and their anger and their pain to god uh, rather than trying to give them some answer that is cogent and concise and you know but perhaps lacking a bit of an, in empathy. Mm. It's a fair point, isn't it? Because one of the things that um, I guess I've noticed about um, certainly Christians who are deconstructing their faith, which is a very trendy term right now, I'm going through a period of deconstruction. Oftentimes, not all the time, but oftentimes, 
the reason for the deconstruction, I think, is is probably an, an, an unhelpful theology around the concept of suffering. So most people would mentally sort of, uh, you know, attune to the fact that there is suffering in the world. As But as long as that suffering's out there and it's not affecting me, because as soon as it affects me and I, I question it, I don't understand it, therefore... I don't know how to process this. So the only thing that I now know how to do is to deconstruct my faith. I see that. A lot. I don't know if you see that, but this is one mm. of the things I see a lot. Um, and it it's interesting listening to you talk about this because um, you wrote the book sort of reflections from the scorched earth, which were obviously based on your experiences working in war zones and dealing with this sort of violence and suffering. So how did writing this book help you process um, and make sense of these experiences, these sufferings. And I guess, in other words, why did you not deconstruct your faith when it was all kicking off around you? What, how did it strengthen your faith? Yeah, I think it, what, what I've described is a process of deconstruction and uh, restructure, I suppose, which is sort of, you know, all, all intermingled with each other. Um, yeah, so I think... Perhaps what I was, the two things, why did you write the book? One, I think writing for some, and, and I would agree with this, it's it's a way of getting what is inside out and it's a way of mm -hmm. finding what's going on inside you. Mm -hmm. um, I had loads of time because I was stuck in a hut or a tent. So <laughs> in the evenings, I would just kind of A, read, uh, B, read my Bible, or C, write. And the three were sort of intermingled. Mm -hmm. And when your only form of communication is a floppy disk and an HF radio, how else are you going to communicate? You know, so I think all those things sort of mm. played into one another. And I think, you know, terrible suffering tends to tends to force writing. You know, a lot of the best poetry comes from World War One. Yeah. Similar sort of emotional reaction for, for some. And I was the same. I had an instinct to write, to try and work it out, to explore my faith and to share what I was discovering. You know, Habakkuk says, you know, even though there's no fruit on the trees, yet I will praise the Lord. That is a much more helpful thing for me than mm. some about free will. And so when you go into that verse and you meditate on it, somehow you do find God strengthens you. And, there, you know, God is my refuge and my strength. That is written virtually every psalm. And it, isn't it? It comes up and again and again. And mm. if, that's you, if that's your source of strength, if, you're, if you find God strengthening in his word, then I find that's what keeps you going. Um, and it's a real honest faith. It's a real honest relationship with God. It's, it's not. And yeah, so I don't know if that's answered your question, but that, that was very much how it all came about, I suppose. Um, yeah. And I tell stories in there, you know, when you nurse a child to death or when you watch them and then mother dies a bit later and, you know, all that sort of stuff, uh, how, you know, taking the communion and just had a call that someone's been shot in the, the backside. And, you know, how do you, how do you reconcile those two things, you know, mm. um, it's 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 just hard to do. So that's really how I sort of brought it out and brought it alive through the book. That's fascinating. So I guess then the question, how, if I can jump to the end of the book, how did you reconcile this idea of God is good faced with the nursing the infant child, the mother dying, someone getting shot in the backside? Well, yeah, in, in some ways it's... A, accepting that some of these things are irre irreconcilable on this earth yeah. you know and 
get it. Faith is is that, isn't it? It's it's not having all the answers, being but it's somehow sure of what you can't see, or have a, have a, enough of a clinging on to what you can't see in the uncertainty, in the doubts, and in in the in the challenge and the pain of it all. And uh, yeah, I take Jesus in Gethsemane. He was just holding on to blind faith, wasn't he? He mm. didn't, and God strengthened him somehow, mysteriously. Uh, through that angel and the if you asked him at that point you know what's your theology of suffering i don't know what he would have said (laughs) it was a it was a prayer of submission yeah and faith is a submission isn't it i trust that you're god therefore i submit Mm. um i don't have the answers i'd much rather not walk through this path right now um so i don't know if that's answered your question but in a sense i didn't really come to a cogent answer and that's the point i just became a whole load of explorations uh, mm. and verses where I found God, pe- people did ask God and God didn't really answer and verses from the Bible, some of which I've quoted that for me personally helped me in a genuine way. Mm. No, fair enough. Fair. And so you obviously saw immense suffering uh, and I, I guess still do in a lot of ways with hope into action. You know, you, you, what are some of the the stories of of, light, of transformation though, or, or was it all was it all suffering, or was there some something that came out of it? Oh well, human spirit is indomitable, isn't it? You know, mm. uh, I mean, so the people both overseas and here, the inspiration comes as much from, you know, that that guard that's working on nothing and you wake up at six in the morning there he is hovering over a light reading his bible or the, the colleagues who you make friends with cross-culturally and their faith is so true in a way mine never will be and same with our tenants now that there are men and women who've experienced homelessness now uh you know their stories carry such power and there's such vulnerability and there's such honesty in them as well. You know, I, I, I can always remember meeting a lady who, who works as a prostitute. She was in a prison cell and, you know, there is so much uh, tragedy in her life. Mm. Just overwhelming. You come out of that thing. And I, I didn't have to, you know, that gave me the energy to work for three months afterwards. You know, I just worked so hard. And if you like, what's happened there is Jesus said, you know, when, when you visited me in prison, there am I. Mm. It was Jesus's spirit spoke to me through that lady and gives you the strength and the power to punch it out and motivation to go hard at whatever the task is ahead of you and whatever the challenge is ahead of you. Um, so, yeah, yeah, that's that that's always the most encouraging thing. Um, uh, yeah, the indomitable spirit of people in suffering is mm. really inspiring, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I I mean, I there are a couple of people that I uh, you know that I've mentioned in the past who for me are the most inspiring people that I know and it's not because of necessarily what they've achieved it's because of what they've gone through and they still remain just the sweetest loveliest Christian people you could ever hope to meet you know just full of grace and you just go well that that's properly inspiring because I've not lived through what they've lived through um, and you kind of go geez I, it is I don't. Did, I guess I, is it, I. I find myself uh, Ed, quite often comparing my life with somebody else's life. It's just one of those things that just happens in my head, mm. um, and it's not so much I compare my life with people who are perceived who I perceive more successful than me. 
Mm. I often compare my life with people who I think haven't got a whole great deal. And, and in my head, I'm like, so therefore, Mr. Matthew, you need to, you know, perhaps change how you think or change how you pray in this situation. Because actually, mm. when, you, when you look at that, really, what have I got to complain about? Now, I, obviously, there are some genuine complaints, but, um, but I find myself doing that a lot. And I'm curious, did you, how did you respond to that when you're out there or when you're with Hope Into Action and you are working with people who clearly don't have, you know, a, a room in their house with an Ethiopian sort of flag or uh, bedspread on the wall? Yeah. Do you... Do you often compare yourself and, and there's, or do you, have you sort of, is that something you deliberately don't do, I guess? is No, absolutely. I compare both up and down and feel inadequate both ways, you know. Like <laughs> but I, yeah. I absolutely get your point. I, I think so often I would look at, if you go back to overseas in Africa, or I can remember just seeing the people I'm working with. And we all know intellectually that, you know, we're all created equal. When you feel it in the core of your being, across mm. a cultural divide, even across linguistic divides, and you see, yeah, if you were, you could be my mother, my brother, my sister, it's such a powerful emotion. I mean, if, if I'd mentioned Hewitt, who was an Eritrean refugee with no recourse, any uh, support in Khartoum, she was our cleaner and maid and looked after our daughter. And we would go around to her hut, which was um no bigger than this room here you can't see it just one room which was a corridor and a kitchen and dining room the other mm. room was a for them and their children and she was one of the most mature intelligent people you would ever meet and you're like mm. she just oozed this wisdom and intelligence and maturity and uh, rachel and i were delighted to leave our daughter with her uh, as a carer and you just know that the there is so you just know that if they give my upbringing, she'd be doing so much more than I would. And that, in a funny way, is your drive. That is where mm. your drive comes That's compassion, that's empathy, and that's, that is your connectedness that drives you forward. Uh, you, you know, none of us are ever going to solve the world's problems. Barack Obama couldn't manage it with all his power, and neither <laughs> would I or you. But yeah. we can, you know, without being cheesy, we can we can do our bit. And... Um, it's great privilege, I think, when you can see, meet people across a cultural divide and connect mm. as your fellow human being. And that's the same in this country as well. When you were like, by God, if you had my birthrights, you would be doing something so much more than I am now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? And I, because um, I've heard people in the past say things like that. Well, you know, if you think about there's people in the world that have it worse off than you. And, and that's almost not given people a license to sort of go through necessarily the emotions that they're going through at the time, you know. Um, and so people have, have sort of shied away from using that as, an, as a statement these days. Um, but actually, I, I think there's a balance to it, isn't there? And, and I'm not telling people not to sort of think about the emotions that they're going through. But there is actually, if this statement which says, actually, if I compare myself to probably about 98% of the world's populations, life's okay you know and it's it's um it's not a bad thing to sort of put it into some kind of context so ed over the years that you've been doing this i'm kind of curious right you've you've been given an mbe which is awesome at my initials by the way mbe uh, and let's not go there um 
So people have recognized, you know, the work that you've done and, and no doubt there's a team behind the success and all that sort of, you know, all that sort of stuff. But if you could go back 15, 20 years, you know, to that, that young man just about to set off to Africa before he meets Simon, what advice would you have given yourself? Yeah, I mean, uh, well, when I first went out, I thought I was going out for three months, maybe six months, and then that would be it. So <laughs> I, was glad that, I was glad that no one ever said to me, you might have to stay out longer. Um, I, I just think I'd say lean in, just mm. lean into it, um, embrace it and go for it. Uh, I think it's a truism. I, you know, I, I think there's a lot to be said. You don't hear this word so much in Christian circles, but I think sacrifice is important. Mm. And, you know, when you give, then you receive. Uh, trust in that because uh, at times we can all say, well, I've chosen a different path or have more money and better this and better that. But I, I do believe that an element of sacrifice, an element of denying yourself, Mm. is an ingredient in our walk as Christians and not one I hear spoken about so much these days. Um, but, but, you know, it, it, that's when you receive. That's the blessing comes from that. Uh, and yeah. so, yeah, I, 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 I think there's still a really important case for, for, the, for that argument. Um, uh, yeah. So the it's interesting the word sacrifice because you're right. I don't think we talk about it a lot the sacrifice of praise the sacrifice of giving you know the sacrifice of denying yourself taking up your cross and all that sort of thing why do you think we don't talk about it so much in church these days yeah i just i don't know maybe it is we're just we're trying to we're trying to sell faith this mm. will help you through your mental problems faith whereas i think people actually respond to authentic faith i think sacrifices i don't know why fully but when you commoditize church when church is something you consume on a sunday mm. and you're trying to make the message something that people will like and consume ironically i yeah i think it probably doesn't work i think people are inspired but by authentic faith and i think mm. in the right context in the right way uh not every week so it's a sort of um oppression you must mm. sacrifice more that, that that's unhealthy isn't it but a willingness you know f f for in the light of god's mercies romans 12 when you just consider your thumb mm. in the light of god's mercies give up your whole body as living sacrifice do, do, mm. do you see what I mean? so it starts from a point as you say from a point of gratitude of d deep spiritual understanding all god's done for us then what is it if i give up my my myself as a, as a living sacrifice um I think that's healthy, and I think that's a healthy mm. spirit. Uh, uh, not in, in, you know, in in a broader context of spiritual uh, disciplines and truths. Yeah, yeah, no, very, very true. And I'm just sat here thinking, actually, you, you know, I, it felt for a while that the church became the equivalent of a self-help sort of message. Mm. Do you know what I mean every? Me I, you couldn't distinguish a church sermon from a sort of self-help sermon, uh, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and actually, the stuff that you've just been talking about, about the sacrifice, about whilst you don't talk about it every Sunday, it, is, should, it should be one of those things which distinguishes the Christian faith because, mm. you know, Tony Robbins doesn't necessarily talk about that on stage. At least I don't think it, I've never been, to be fair. I'm, I, I, but do you know what I mean? It's that kind of, mm. um, that kind of thing, isn't it? So, I, yeah, 
very good super powerful so i guess if you look back over the time are there any 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 regrets in anything or anything that you'd like to change perhaps uh, over what's been done well i think yeah regret contrition uh, confession uh, you know i don't quite know what the line is there um, <laughs> that's but, your next book maybe well yeah i mean i think that has to be part of our again part of our spiritual journeys every week mm. every month every day doesn't it so um yeah my major life decisions um i don't regret um mm. in terms of you know that first decision to 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 serve as tier fund then come back when we did and then and then start hoping to action uh but within that there's no end of doubts about <laughs> it and and within that there's no end of mistakes you've made and the hardest things is where you know perhaps also in a leadership position where you've um hurt people and then when you you know um i think it's really hard when you're in leadership isn't it because jesus rebuked people and that presumably hurt them mm -hmm. and sometimes as a sinner I, i've perhaps caused hurt uh in an unhelpful way um mm. and i think with the responsibility of leadership does come that sometimes and sometimes you've had to grasp a situation and done it badly um sometimes you've felt you've had to grasp a situation and you got that wrong sometimes even you've got it right but you've hurt people and that's horrible um mm. so i think those are perhaps some of the more more yeah i don't know if regret's the right word but some of the harder elements of the role mm. um for sure you've made decisions i mean every security instance when you're in responsible for staff every security instance where something bad happened you could have stopped it because there were mm. always indicators but you wouldn't be in that context if you you know yeah, yeah. You halted operations every time so you've had to really self-recrimination in those situations and in situations that open to action where times of things have gone wrong you have to work through self-recrimination and go yeah i mm. may have done yeah, i could have done better but I'm still held by God and that doesn't make me a bad it doesn't mean I shouldn't continue it doesn't mean mm. I got it wrong and yeah. so on uh, so you've got to you've got to face into that those mistakes and the cost of those mistakes I think um, mm. what's the answer don't feel I've really answered your question but in short lots of regrets <laughs> yeah, no, fair enough that's a very good answer um so what does the future hold? What's the next sort of three, five years look like, do you think? Where's, where's God taking all of this? Yeah, it's a really good question. I, I think there are, there are lots of examples of founders that stay on too long. Uh, mm. and I, I think every founder and every organization they found is is unique. So I'm not casting judgment on any individual person here, but I think certainly over lockdown, there are lots of examples from Bill Hybels to... Um, uh, when in the Lash, uh, Hillsong, perhaps even where the founder mm. hasn't ended as well as they might. And for me, in reflecting on that, I, I felt, well, if you genuinely trust God, um, then he's got the organization and mm. doesn't, I, I can be conned into my own sense of indispensability. Um, yeah. Well, no, do you trust God actually with this organization that he's, he's founded and you've just been a partner with him on for mm -hmm. a period of time and really wanting to model something different. So 18 months ago, I did resign to my trustees after a year of thinking about it and discussing it with a few of them. And um, we've appointed John Kurt to take over for me now. He's doing a fantastic job. I'm so proud of him and the handover we've done, if I'm honest with you. And I'm now an ambassador one to two days a week 
for that and we're just in that sort of transition phase at the moment therefore i get i've sort of run off at the end of a cliff and don't have any secure uh, income or, or work um but you're very very much trusting that that will come through um so i think it's I think there are some good examples of founders leaving really well. I think um, Les Isaacs is one from mm. Essential Trust. And I, I, I guess I really, John and I want to be another example of that, um, where I hand over really well. We have a really solid relationship with me in this role. I currently have no managerial or governance ex uh, responsibility. Um, that's important that John is captain of the ship and I mm. know blessing to him and not a burden for him um i don't undermine him i support him and hopefully can add value to this movement that is hoping to action of getting churches to house a homeless seeing that as part of their worship hopefully mm. i can be released from the day-to-day -day worries and go hard at uh, promoting the organization fantastic fantastic and so uh, ed in closing a question i like to ask everybody if i can um if you had just one message, right, you got one chance. Uh, I, every time I say this, I get this song, you know, that you only get one shot. Do not miss the chance uh, song in my head for some very odd reason. Um, but you, 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 you know, this is your last sermon, uh, in effect, your one message for whatever reason. What would you what would be the topic? What's the, the overarching thing that you've learned from God over the years that you would talk about? Well, there's a, there's a Sai Gilbert quote that says, I'll say two things. Well, if God is worth anything, he's worth everything. And that's mm. such sound logic. If he is out there and he did create every mountain, then he's probably worth everything. Mm -hmm. um, if you know, So I, I do like that. And the other thing, I would just really love to see a deep understanding of the gospel where climate, poverty, justice, peace, proclamation, salvation, redemption – are all so interwoven in our understanding mm. um, that it's it, yeah the, the the house that's falling down in Norfolk now is you know the, the the child that is starving because of my carbon footprint needs to know about Jesus spiritually needs to have food needs mm. uh, it's the soil around his village to be redeemed that's all the gospel. Mm. Um, and that to be just so well ingrained in our understanding. You know, Jesus said, preach good news to all creation, not just the human race. Mm. And so sort of, uh, I'm drawn to that. that. That's an attractive gospel to me. Uh, I'm drawn mm. to coming to faith. I set up Home Into Action so people would come to faith. Mm. Um, and I'm trying to proclaim, but but it's, it's in a context of something wider. Mm. Um, no, that's great. Do you think that, because as I'm listening to you talk, it it sort of resonates with me that that's that is that is Tearfund. Do you know what I mean this is sort of almost like the mission of Tearfund that you're talking about? Um, is 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 that have, have I understood that right? And is that something maybe that Tearfund helped formed in you, or is that something that you had before you hit Tearfund? Yeah, I think it was kind of in me instinctively, but Tearfund formed it and shaped it and gave words to it and articulated it and developed it in me. And yeah, I think I was drawn to Tearfund because it, it was in me. And mm. I, I can say that is very much, that it would be very similar to what Tearfund would articulate. And it, it, yeah, I'm still 15 years after leaving Tearfund. That's my answer to that question. It still makes sense. <laughs> you know, it's an interconnected world in my mind. And mm. The gospel is interwoven into all of that. 
Yeah, fantastic. Fantastic. Listen, Ed, uh, it's been an absolute treat talking to you. Um, I'm aware of time. I'm aware the kids are coming back from school. Um, if people want to find out more about you, about Hope Interaction, uh, what's the best way to, to go about doing that? Yeah, listen, we'd love to connect with you. Uh, hopeinteraction.org.uk or if you want to send me an email, ed.walker at hopeinteraction.org.uk any conversation I'd love to pick up with you especially if you've got a real you've seen the homeless it's going up again we predicted it would go up 18 months ago homelessness has gone up by a third in this country in the last year Uh, the church needs to stand to rise up so if that floats your boat in particular do get in touch ed.walker at hopeinteraction.org.uk and what can people do, Ed, if, if, if maybe they have a heart, but it's not necessarily something on their church's agenda? Is it still something that they can connect with you about? Is that, what sort of things could they do? There's so many ways you can connect with us. You know, if it, it just, just we'll come back to your question, but if your church wants to engage, how can it engage? It's everyone in your church has got something. They may not have money, but they can help decorate a house. They, they may have a journey with someone. Someone may not have time, but they could invest their wealth to buy a house for the homeless. And then you own the house, but you lease it to us. So you're sharing your wealth with the poor. You can give to us. You can pray for us. You can connect with us. You can in, inspire people. You can work for us. You can be a trustee for us. There's so many ways. And mm. if anyone gets in touch, I generally say great let's have a coffee and over a coffee let's find out what we're trying to do is god will reveal where your passions and talents overlie overlap with what we're doing and i'm sure something can come from it we, we i love having coffees with people i'd love to connect with you <laughs> just love having coffee uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah fair enough um listen ed thank you so much for coming on the on the what's the story podcast man it's been an absolute treat to uh, to hear your story I love what you're doing. Um, super, super awesome. So my final question. I'm a bit like the Apostle Paul. I say finally, then ask another question. Uh, I want you to imagine you're at the Christian Oscars, for want of a better expression. I can't think of a better example. Uh, and you've just got your sort of Lifetime Achievement Award. And you have a minute to thank all of those folks that have had a big impact on your life, like family, mentors, authors, software, podcasters, whoever. You know. I'm curious, who do you thank and why? Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, I mean, my wife, my mother have had very uh, powerful spiritual impacts on me. I think my dad and my elder brother, probably the most powerful. Um, mm. Then after that, we Nelson Mandela and um, Martin Luther King Jr. They're probably, they'd be the ones I go for. Fantastic. And second person today that's mentioned Martin Luther King uh, and Nelson Mandela, actually. Really interesting. Um, when, I read, fant- when I read Martin Luther King's book, age 26, I thought, what Bible has he read? Because I would never have been taught that. How did he get <laughs> that he's in the Bible? And that's what so inspired me about it. Wow. Yeah. Okay, the people can look like this. All oh, right. Why did no one, why am I 26? And no one's told me that yet. Yeah. You know, that's what blew my mind about him. Really interesting, isn't it? When uh, if uh, if what I read is correct, that actually his very famous one, uh, you know, I have a dream speech. Mm-hmm. Most of that was um, quite. It was like a spontaneous thing, wasn't it? it? It was sort of. It wasn't planned. It was just like um, it just. That's the the way I guess the Holy Spirit took him at that point in time. Of course, I mean, we can have questions about the rest of his life, but at that point in time, you listen to that speech and you can, and you just think, oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> my, I, I, I do that thing again where I compare myself and I go, I, I think I'm okay at preaching, but then I listen to that and go, I've, I've not learned a single thing. <laughs> it was just incredible, absolutely incredible. 
Fantastic. We will, of course, link to uh, Ed's info in the show notes, which you can get along for free, along with a transcript. You can get them on the podcast app you're listening to uh, this podcast on, on YouTube if you're watching it in the description. Or, of course, you can get it on our website as well, which is uh, whatsastorypodcast.com. And, of course, if you're signed up to the newsletter, they will be winging their way to your inbox. Uh, Ed, fantastic. Thanks, man. Really appreciate it. Really appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah, real pleasure. Thank you for having me. Uh, It's been a real honor, real privilege. Brilliant, honestly. Now, remember to check out Crowd Online Church at www.crowd.church, even if you might not see the point of church. We are a digital church on a quest to discover how Jesus helps us live a more meaningful life. We are a community, a space to explore the Christian faith, and a place where you can contribute and grow. And you are welcome at Crowd Church. Now, be sure to subscribe to What's the Story wherever you get your podcast from because we've got yet more great conversations lined up and I don't want you to miss any of them. And in case no one has told you yet today, you are awesome. Yes, you are created awesome. Uh, It's just the way God made you. Uh, It's a burden you have to bear. Ed has to bear it. I have to bear it. You've got to bear it as well. Now, What's the Story is produced by Crowd Online Church. You can find our entire archive of episodes on your favorite podcast app. The team that makes this show possible is Sadaf Bainon, Estella Robin, and Tanya Hutzelak. Our theme song was written by Josh Edmondson. And if you would like to read the transcript or show notes, as I said, you can find them on the website crowd.church, uh, where you can also, as it happens, sign up for the newsletter. Now, that's it from me. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, Have a fantastic week, wherever you are. It's bye from me. It's bye from Ed. Bye for now.